0: Good morning everyone, Good morning. welcome again to Good News Bible Chapel, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Todd Wallace and uh, it's a joy to be here with you, um, thank you for joining us, welcome to everybody that, uh, that's watching online, I'm just going to drop this down real quick. Okay, once upon a time, a greedy mouse lived in a farmer's house. One day, the greedy mouse saw a basket full of corn, and he wanted to eat it all. So he made a small hole in the basket and squeezed in through it while the farmer was sleeping. Once inside, he ate as much as he possibly could before feeling too full to move another inch. Now, he wanted to come out, He tried to squeeze himself out through that same small hole, but his belly was so full that it got stuck and he couldn't get through. The mouse began to cry. A rabbit was walking past, and when he heard the mouse's sobs, it stopped and asked, Why are you crying? The mouse sang in his squeaky little voice as he sat inside the basket of corn kernels, I've made a hole for myself with my teeth and came into this basket to eat. But now I can't get out through the same hole. The rabbit said, it's because you've, you overate. When your belly shrinks, I'll come back and see how you're doing. And he ran away laughing. <laughs> well, the mouse fell asleep in the basket. And in the morning, his belly was much smaller than it was before but he still wanted to eat more corn. He forgot about needing to get out of the basket, so he did eat more corn and became fat again. After eating, the mouse then remembered that he needed to find his way out. Well, unfortunately, he was still trapped in the basket. So the mouse thought about it for a while and realized he could again wait, and in the morning, He can get out just then a cat passed by and he could smell the mouse in the basket so he opened the lid and he ate the mouse (laughs) the end (laughs) a poor mouse right goodness all right so i want to ask you a question have you ever bought new stuff that you really didn't need and you had to move some of your old stuff out of the way just to make room for your new stuff? Have you ever realized that you have an abundance of something and you box it all up and you move it into a storage facility? Has the grammar in your life ever been in the first-person singular? I, I, right? I want, I need, I did, I hope. I achieved, I accomplished, I, 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 I. If any of this sounds familiar, or if you have answered yes to any of these, or even if you didn't, but you understand what I'm talking about, then you might know something about greed, maybe in your own life. Greed, what a truly ugly word, right? I'm sure certain unpleasant thoughts might come to mind when you hear that word. But what really is greed? Well, Webster's dictionary tells us that, or defines it as a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than we actually need. Greed is an intense, selfish desire for things like wealth or maybe material things. Greed often leads individuals to prioritize their own interests above those of others. It's the accumulation of much more than we could ever need and depriving others of what might be necessities. God bless you. It's not too hard to find many historic examples of greed. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve ate the apple because the devil told them they could become like God. God. You can call up central casting, order up conquerors, criminals, kings and their consorts, political bosses, Wall Streeters, the list can go on and on and on. Even the church over the years, as well as today, has had religious pretenders who have let greed grab hold of their lives. Any of you remember these two? (laughs) For those of you who are younger, Um, This is Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Back in the 80s, these two had a very large following as televangelists and were eventually arrested, convicted, and sent to jail for misusing millions of dollars that were given to them as well as other misconduct. If you've been coming to good news for a while, you, you know a little bit about me. I've never been shy about sharing my past. For those of you who don't, I'd like you to know that greed was a huge issue in my life. I thrived on setting ever higher goals to get more things. I could never have enough stuff, and money was at the top of that issue for me. I was very materialistic, and it was all about more, 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 more. I wanted more, and I really didn't care how it affected anyone that I associated with, including my family. So I want you to know that I feel very connected to what we're talking about today. Turn with me, if you would, please, in your Bibles or on your phones, however you want to do it, uh, to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to take a look at verses 13 through 21, the parable of the rich fool. And while you're doing that, let me give you a little background on what was going on at the time. We can glean from an earlier chapter that Jesus and His disciples were on His final journey to Jerusalem, and He was preparing His followers for life without Him. In the first verse of chapter 12, we see that a very large crowd of many thousands had started to gather around them. So I'm going to start reading, uh, if you're with me, at, uh, at verse 13, where it says, Someone in the crowd said to Him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. The man viewed Jesus as a respected rabbi or teacher, and in those times it was actually customary for rabbis to give decisions on legal matters, or disputes over property. However, Jesus refuses to get involved in the man's dispute. His mission was not to settle personal disputes. His mission was global redemption. But as we often see in the New Testament, Jesus would take a question like this and use it to launch into a teaching, and that's exactly what he did here. So, out of that man's request came an opportunity for Jesus to teach his followers about God's view of material things. Jesus believes it's important for the disciples to learn not to be diverted from their commitment to him and the Father by greed for wealth or material things. So, he tells them this parable of the rich fool, and he warns them that they need to watch out and beware of covetousness. There is a huge danger with an excessive attachment to wealth or material things. All right, so there's some of you probably sitting out there right now. I know I would be, okay? (laughs) That's why I'm mentioning this, thinking, all right, am I living in an improper Christian life? Am I greedy and am I sinning because I have a savings account or I have a 401K? maybe an IRA so that I can retire someday. That's not what this is about, okay? That's not what this is about. It's not that God doesn't want us to have a savings account so that we are prepared for future needs or have money for retirement. And it's also not saying that God does not want us to eat, drink, be merry... And enjoy what he has given us. Jesus enjoyed eating, drinking, and being merry. And we should certainly enjoy what God has blessed us with. But look at the rich fool in Jesus' parable. Apparently, he had this exceptional harvest that year, which which was great. I mean, it left him in a very favorable situation. He had done everything honestly, and by God's provision and kindness, he was exceedingly blessed with his harvest. Harvest like this at that time would have gotten this man the envy of all those around him. The harvest was so bountiful that he'll not have to work for many years to come. But he has a problem. He has this very large harvest and no place to store it. So the rich fool sits back, thinks about his problem, and this is where we start to see where his heart really is. Remember earlier I mentioned the first person singular, I, in our lives? Well, after thinking about the problem, here's where the rich fool's heart and mind went. Just, this is not word for word from verse 18, but if we were to elaborate on it a little bit, he's saying, I know what I will do. I will pull down my barns. I will build larger barns. I will store my stuff in new barns. Oh, I have so much, I can just relax. I will eat, I will drink, I will be merry. Sounds a bit self-centered and greedy, wouldn't you say? It appears that the one thing that never entered his mind as he was contemplating his problem was to give some of it away and help some of the people around him. Well, I mean, come on, it's his harvest, right? He's just going to stock it up, keep it all for himself. That's the plan. Live in total leisure, self-indulgence, His future perspective is entirely about himself, me, myself, and I. Look, having possessions is not bad or wrong. But the Romans had a proverb which said that money was like seawater. The more a man drank, the thirstier he became. The problem in the parable is not that he has an abundant harvest because that was a gift from God. And truthfully, it was not even a problem that he needed to make a plan for what to do with it. The problem was hoarding it as his alone. He's going to lay up his treasures for himself alone with no thought to the needs of others. Storing up treasures for oneself And not for God is the problem. The poor rich fool mistakenly thinks he's only responsible for himself. So he sins by keeping all the riches for himself. We don't even see anywhere that he actually thanked God for the abundant harvest. And as we see in the end, he doesn't even get to benefit from them because of his greed In verse 20, we read, read, God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Jesus makes sure that this parable shows that the fate of all who store up treasures for themselves is death. And besides, what assurance do we have that we're even going to live to see tomorrow? As long as a man's attitude is like that of the rich fool, His desire will always be to get more. And that's really the reverse of the Christian way. Okay, all right. So as Christians, what are we supposed to do with this? Let me just say this as clearly as I can. Not even when we have an abundance of something does your life consist of your possessions. I believe that somewhere deep within, we already know this. We really do. I don't don't believe that this is new information to anybody. All that the rich fool was going to be able to show for his life would be bigger barns crammed with food. Rather than giving away some of the surplus, he selfishly and greedily hoarded his worldly goods instead of sharing and laying up his treasures in heaven. In Matthew 6:33 Jesus said, "Seek first the kingdom of God." We are to be rich towards God. 1 Timothy 6:10 tells us the love of money is the root of all evil. Now Jesus is warning us about all kinds of greed. It could certainly be money, but can also be about time, attention, approval love power control being right all the time being in charge or a thousand other things we should be fulfilling our moral responsibilities before god to care for the needs of others we should be pursuing personal righteousness and godliness as well as a stronger faith more genuine love for others, more patience and true meekness. I believe that means we need to invest in each other and the world in the same way in which Jesus invested Himself in us, through love, mercy, compassion, justice, hope, courage, truth, beauty. Generosity, this is the wealth of God. This is the life God shares and invests in us through Jesus Christ. It reveals that there is enough. It declares that my life to be as important and valuable as yours. So to be rich towards God begins with knowing that we already are God's beloved treasure. There's a freedom in that. It's a freedom to live rich towards others and the world. Remember, being takes precedence over having. I want all of you who are parents or grandparents to think back to the day that you held your child or grandchild for the very first time. Do you remember that day? Can you picture their faces? What were your greatest hopes and dreams for them at that very moment? What were your sincerest prayers for his or her life? What did you desire more than anything else for that little one? Was it a big fancy house? Closet full of clothes and shoes? That they would always be on the winning team? That they would be wealthy and have lots of things? Did you hope that they would be powerful, more important, and more successful than anyone else? No, it's probably not what you were hoping for and praying for at that time. And why weren't those your first concerns? Because something in you already knew that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, right? And if you know that was true for them, it should be true for us. I'm betting you probably prayed that child would find meaning and purpose in their life. You hoped that their life would be full of joy. You wish that child could live in a world of peace. You prayed they would look in the mirror and see their own beauty, and they would trust their own goodness, and they would discover their own holiness. You prayed they would find that special someone someday and know what it's like to love and be loved unconditionally. You wish them to imagine all the possibilities of their life. And ultimately, I bet, it was for them to always stay close to God. The reason these things were in your prayers, your hopes, and your wishes for them is because, again, somewhere deep and within you, you know you want those same things for your life. You touched your own richness towards God. You caught a glimpse of the treasure that you are and want to be The treasure God knows you are ready to be. I mentioned earlier I lived a life of greed for many years. That was until I let Jesus into my life. I'm thankful I no longer have those idols. Jesus has taught me that in the end, I cannot present a suitcase full of riches to God for admission into heaven. He taught me that God has other priorities for us. Wealth towards myself is poverty before God. The comfort that comes from wealth and the power we get from materialism provides only a fleeting and false security, a vain effort at comfort. Jesus has taught me that wealth is potentially a subtle but devastating obstacle to God. Where idols and selfish inwardness are present, God's judgment awaits. And wealth's only legacy is its fleeting nature. If we look back in Luke just a bit to uh, chapter 6, verse 24, we read, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. We need to remember that only wealth handled with generosity meets with God's approval. I'd like to leave you with something that I read recently while I was working on this sermon. In 2 Corinthians 9.6, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We should not look at our sharing of what we have as giving, but as sowing. As John Calvin pointed out long ago when he expounded on this passage, and he lived in the 1500s, we're not giving, but sowing when we contribute of our financial means to the work of the Lord. For it miraculously is considered by the Lord of the harvest as seed sown in the soil of the hearts of men. And it's a rule of harvest that other other things being equal, the more seed planted, the more harvested. He who is deficient with his seed must necessarily anticipate a meager crop. Of course, a bountiful harvest presupposes not only an abundance of seed but also good soil, properly prepared, watered and cultivated. It's no good to simply give money to anyone or any cause any more than it is good simply to throw a seed on a rocky slope, a city street, or a weed-infested yard. One is responsible to give where God's Word is honored, not just give, but give responsibly. Furthermore, even though an abundant harvest is promised, the motive Of giving is also vital the harvest is souls not gold God loveth a cheerful giver right not a conditional giver Romans 12 8 says if it is encouraging let him encourage if it is contributing to the needs of others let him give generously if it is leadership let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. God often does bring financial blessings to a Christian who has proven faithful in the grace of giving, but this is so he can still give more and thus lay up still more treasures in heaven. Luke 12, 48 says, from everyone who has been given much Much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And as we give, we must never forget that Christ has given more. During his life on earth, he cared for the poor, he healed the sick, he never turned anyone away. But most importantly, when he died on the cross, It was for our sins. He paid the penalty of God's judgment against our sins for us. That's why we call the gospel the good news, people. Christ died once for all on our behalf in our place for the sake of our sins. His death is sufficient to reconcile us to God since He is the perfect sacrifice to cleanse us of our greed, materialism, or any other sin. He's like the bleach that cleanses our dirty clothes from all the muddy stains. He's like an antivirus software that wipes out all the harmful viruses on our computer. His death was sufficient. All we need to do is give our greed sin to him. Lay it at his feet. And He will give us a new heart. Not a new heart of flesh, but a new heart in the Spirit. With the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we have this intimate, infinite, and permanent connection with God. The Holy Spirit is our power to protect us against greed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Throughout your word, you have have things to say to us about greed. Strong cautions about our heart's relentless hunger, quest, and demand to have more. But today, Jesus' warning about all kinds of greed has broadened this warning, and some of us find ourselves both convicted of sin and also moved towards a deeper relationship with Jesus. Materialism and consumerism constantly bombard us. We ask that you help us when we may be tempted by material things. Please strengthen us when our sinful hearts are drawn towards material things and away from you. We are weak, and the enemy knows how to entice our hearts towards things made of wood, stone, plastic, or metal, which we know grieves you. Father, let us be greedy in our relationship with you. We want to glorify you and enjoy you more than ever. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you help us to find our deepest satisfaction, joy, and peace in knowing, loving, and serving Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.